Right now, you can get both Sprint's Unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic. After 630-20, pay $32 a month per line with AutoPay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Oh, Omar, and it's the end of 2017, 2018. Here we come, and no USA in the World Cup. Woo-hoo! Woo! How exciting. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic to see my boy Christian Pulisic On the couch. On the couch in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I love it. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. I would Woo! recommend putting cameras there at ESPN so we can see his facial reaction. Um, I would also like to see what Michael Bradley's doing. Probably shining his bald head. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we, we just talked to uh, Morgan Hughes, Save the Crew, and I, he had some interesting takes on uh, Michael Bradley. Oh, they hate, I often they like Michael Bradley over there. But uh, I, I think his, the funny thing is he called those petty, or I don't remember what the terminology is, and I would say I wouldn't necessarily agree with them because I thought he said something very truthful that a lot of people have been wanting to say. And and it's not even about save the crew. I think you could say that about the revolution, about some sense the Rapids, Dallas, Dallas Rapids. Um, there's so many teams with tennis DC, issues. DC United for a while. Up until we'll see what the new stadium comes up with. Um, you know, Chicago. You can say a lot about these clubs. Same yeah, thing. it's not just it's not just for Columbus. I mean, you can go for any of those clubs. But Stephen, we have a great guest on that's gonna be on today yes and talking about a change in u.s soccer well we originally had booked this individual before the nomination list had come out the official list this was you know this individual was all about uh we, we spoke with him beforehand fortunately we weren't able to find a time that worked for the both of us but we were able to to talk to him unfortunately the list had come out paul Lapointe wasn't able to make it uh, to the next uh, round, I guess you would call it, of the U.S. soccer presidential election process. But, however, he, uh, when we spoke with him, he provided great insight and talked a little bit more about his platform, but kind of a, a kind of an interesting... I would say it's a, it was discussion. 
It was more of a discussion than an interview. We we discussed the media. We discussed the the connection among the candidates to money to to basically what what he originally I guess what his idea of what change was, and it was to ask questions. And we did. We did. We did what he wanted uh, uh, the U.S. soccer fan base to do, and is ask questions. Yeah, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a great little great little bit and great little bit of insight and. We hope that you'll enjoy it. And even though he's not a candidate, he still has loads of experience within the U.S. soccer realm. And I think his opinion should – and he also did clarify the comments that he made with Alexi Laws that did cause a little bit of the storm. Yes. Uh, so you get to hear all that stuff coming so, up. Yep, coming up right now. All righty, listeners, we got a fantastic individual on the line with us. It's Paula Point. He just unfortunately didn't get the nominations, but was a former U.S. soccer presidential candidate, Massachusetts business owner, serves as Northeast Conference Manager in the semi-pro United Premier Soccer League, had some playing tryouts with the old NASL New York Cosmo and Tampa Bay Rowdies, had a stint in the USISL, and president of the American Indoor Soccer League. How's it going, Paul? Thanks for joining us. How's it going, fellas? Thanks for having me on. We're doing great. And let's just get to your uh, overall uh, thoughts on not being able to move on in the process and the process itself. Um, my thoughts are uh, amazing experience. Um, I have no disappointment. Um, I uh, plead my case and my platform and my views and my thoughts from the heart. And uh, it's been an amazing experience, and uh, you know, I thank the USSF for approving me as an as a candidate. And uh, you know, it doesn't come without a little bit of controversy or some questions, but uh, overall, um, amazing experience. It's honored. So, so, Paul, looking back on your ex- experience running through the uh, the election process, was there anything that you regretted? Um, just looking back. Um, I don't regret one thing. The only thing that uh, I'm saddened about and uh, confused about is the actual um, uh, clarity of the process that we all signed up for. And, um, you know, we're, you know, as of the late uh, letter by Steve Gans, another candidate questioning the, uh, the integrity of the process. And then Paul Caligari with his recent letter of, uh, uh, some switching of positions before the election is e- even over. I've had many questions uh, since May of 2017 when I uh, put out my letter of intent and then got approved uh, first week of September, uh, which left a very small window to ramp up a campaign and then the, uh, the qualifications and processes thereof. So, um, and I still have questions today because it's, uh, I believe the, nomination process is is not transparent and i believe it's broken and um i've made that very clear um with a letter my final letter to the ussf and my questions that i have but i'm not going to put those on publicly it's my personal feeling i have no grievances at this point i've just been honored and uh remain doing so so you just said you don't want to publicly you publicly present these questions that you have about the process. Is that correct? Well, my last letter, my, my last formal letter to them, I won't make public at this time, but you know, 
all the questions that I've been asked, all the questions that I've been asking are very, very upfront publicly. And, you know, one of them uh, is the, uh, the rescinding process uh, that I found out about hours just before I was going to present in Florida at a major forum. I was not notified in writing. I had to come back from Florida and actually call the Federation and, and ask them and email them, is this true? Uh, and why did you do this? And then the insertion of uh, candidates kind of coming in the race late, one withdrawing uh, very late. Uh, what's the reasoning for that? Um, and again, um, the the uh, the nomination process is, is just very confusing, um, and they change the rules as they go, and uh, it just creates a lot of questions, and it opened up Pandora's box. And today, I stand. If the system's technically broken and there's two other candidates that agree, then why do they only make it for the next two months uh, to, to have a second party come in and oversee this election process? If it's broken, it's broken from the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely, Paul. But let's take a little jump back and let's talk about your experience in the soccer realm. You said in an interview to 442, you know when God wrote the commandments, he wrote the 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment is never walk away from soccer. I figured out when I was playing that I'm going to follow that commandment. And Love there's it. really not a left, not uh, a lot left to do. So, Paul, I mean, with that, with that quote, I mean, it's clear that you have a true love for for, for the game. So, what is yeah. your your, I guess, your experience throughout uh, soccer uh, in your youth days? Well, again, back in the uh, the, the middle seventies, uh, there wasn't a lot of options. You know, there was there was really no clubs. Um, there was open fields. Uh, there was fields that uh, surrounded the college uh, area. And you know, and when I, when I started, all you all you sought out if you loved the game was uh, a field with a with a that big green backboard on it that you could kick against. Um, you know, there, there was no premier clubs, elite clubs, maple leagues, and recre- recreation soccer and things like that. Um, you know, I started out as a ball boy, uh, and that's when I fell in love with the sport. Uh, my dad was going to a local college in Rhode Island, and, and uh, they asked me to be the ball boy. And I was like, wow, look at this. And the rest is history. Uh, so 47 years in the game from a player, youth player, coach, team owner, professional team owner, professional coach, college coach. Uh, professional uh, representative in the sport, um, you you name it. Um, having being a father with two kids in the system as well, um, all these years, both my boys, you know, one's thirty-two and one's thirty. Uh, so what is there left to do? So um, you just got to keep on plugging forward, and that's why I'm with the UPSL, still affecting the game in the adult amateur ranks, where the magic happens every day, uh, both women's and men's. Uh, in the youth ranks, and um, you know, here we are today. But uh, I'm only 54 years old. I got a lot of juice left in the tank, uh, some say. So uh, we'll see what these <laughs> next four years will bring, and then, and then possibly get on the uh, get on the bandwagon again because uh, you know, hopefully, some of the things that we've all heard in the last uh, six or seven months from all of us running uh, against uh, somebody who's kind of dominated the chair for 11 seasons or 11 years. Uh, hopefully some new things will change and we can move on. Yeah, Paul, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, 44 is the new 54. Let me, let yeah, me get right. What's the big difference? Because you grew up in an age where soccer wasn't what it was today, you know, to say the least. 
what right. are the you know right. what have you seen in front of your eyes and how you've grown up with it to how kids and how young people are growing up with it today? Well, I mean, popularity uh, by design. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, the, the very things that I felt playing as a kid. Um, and I think some of the kids now, even three or three to five year olds, you know, feel that same feeling, but now have more of an opportunity because the sport has struggled and has been turbulent for so many years. I mean, back in the late seventies and early eighties, uh, um, you know, all you only had was maybe professional soccer and college soccer to watch, um, at this point. Um, so there wasn't a lot of options. And then when soccer pulled out of the United States for a short period of time, uh, it left that gap for, uh, for soccer to evolve in different areas. But over the past years, um, and maybe the last 20 to 25 years, I think soccer has concentrated more on the pure money of the sport and what it can do from an income standpoint, because the kids are, uh, playing the sport in every community now at so many different levels, but we lost the development part of it. And, and, and that's, um, and that's been the push for me is, you know, we all have ourselves to blame while we don't qualify for a world cup or there's or we want to use these fancy terms like pay to play and pro rel and, and, uh, all these things, uh, both in the men's and women's games. So, um, you know, it, it's just, we're all looking back, uh, at this point and, uh, questioning maybe ourselves in the soccer realm of our lives that, you know, do we all contribute to, uh, the good things and did we all contribute to the bad things? And we move on from here because, you know, soccer's not broken. This country just needs a tune up. And that absolutely, Paul, it's actually interesting. You mentioned the development aspect of, um, how, how, how we, how we develop our players because, uh, yes, uh, because, uh, Yesterday, a couple of days back, we uh, talked to Eric Stover, the CEO of the Cosmos, and he mentioned the same thing, that we're struggling to de- – we develop players gr- good until 13, 14, 15, but it's, it's those important 16, 17, 18 in that, in that range mm-hmm. that, we, that, we, that we failed to uh, d- develop the player properly. Do you agree with that? I do, and you know, part of this whole process is because the sectors of soccer are so divided um, – you know, everybody wants to wants to make the claim of this is the only way to develop our our, uh, our kids through a system that will feed uh, when we're only talking about our national team level. There's no inclusion of the college, the futsal, the, the recreational league. Everybody's, like I said, and I've used this term before, we're all flying in the same airspace, but we're not flying in the same pattern. Um, and, you know, at this point, it's, it's, it's frustrating, um, but, um, you know, there's got to be inclusion – uh, with all of us in these development ranks to come up with a system that we all agree upon without stepping on each other's business plan. Uh, because everybody's afraid of the business plan that, that'll be affected because they're in that business plan is a profit and loss statement and it affects that. So, uh, you know, we need to define a development process from three years old all the way up through. And what is it going to take to do it? Well, let's get into. Unfortunately, you're not running anymore, but I, I do want to break down your mm-hmm. your platform because I think it is interesting because you've been outspoken, and you're one of the few candidates that does have some more punch to your platform. And I get the sense, and this is just my personal feeling. I don't know if Armand would agree with this, but mm-hmm. 
all the other candidates, you kind of feel like, eh, there's not much difference between them, so it's kind of hard to... And unfortunately, us, the public, and us, the media, have absolutely no say in this, so it's just kind of, you know, I mm-hmm. guess you could throw your support at somebody, mm-hmm. but what makes... Yeah, I could. What makes your platform, or what would made your platform different from everybody else's, and what Gawadi has had the last several years? Well, that's a great question, and uh, it's a, that's a fantastic question. A platform for an individual and the beliefs thereof that that individual has has to come from personal experience in a, in a collaboration and uh, of all of all of these things we're talking about put together. My platform stems from personal experiences from a youth player all the way up through, plus a business owner in the sport. What set it apart from the others is, and I'll say it very clearly, some of the greatest players in the world don't make the best coaches and they don't make the best business people. I think I'm the only Mm -hmm. candidate out of everyone that ran or is running that has a mixture of every sector. And I can talk to you inside the lines about the game as a, a former professional player, professional coach, professional team owner, ODP coach in the state of Massachusetts and curriculums. And then I can talk to you about the game outside the lines with stadiums, uh, pouring rights, lease agreements, uh, contracts with players. I mean, and then the business ownership of it all. So the platform is really based on personal experience. And I kind of pounded that through that. Wait a minute. We're all on a job interview. And if you were a CEO or a president of a company and you needed to fill a, a, a very important sector in your company, who would best fit that interview and the experiences that they had to back it up. So, you know, right now, let's face it. I'm, I was running against uh, what four former national team players with um, stardom and uh, stardom in the pitch um, two high powered lawyers and then an existing uh, vice president who's been in this, in the grid for so many years. And then Kathy, Kathy Carter, who comes in, from the marketing side that links major league soccer, USSF and some together. So, you know, I was told, uh, at, at Florida, uh, before hours, before the, uh, the, the forum that the point you've got, you've got no, no chance of winning this thing. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I think I got the best resume. So if you want to base it on a resume, I should win. If you want to base it on popularity, then I definitely will lose. Yeah, and I mean that's what uh, me and Stephen have actually talked about. It it seems at times that we're witnessing a little bit of a popularity uh, race than anything of of legit uh, uh, substance. And do you, do you, so let's ask this, let's ask this question from me: Is um, if you look at the the candidates now? And I'll ask this question today. What have you done for soccer lately from a development stage? In the UPSL, I took a conference that wasn't even a blip on the map in the Northeast, and I have 12 teams slated to play in the spring, uh, from staff to coaches to teams to championships to Open Cup support, uh, Amateur Cup support. I mean, I'm still working in the game to develop it, not just to run for a fancy title. So... Um, yeah, great stuff. Great question. Well, but this popularity contest, 
I mean, in in mm-hmm. itself is is just unfair because you you know you, you can sit there and you could you know Ronaldo or um, Martino mm-hmm. have been commentating on the game itself, but you do get the sense that it's like what are they going to do because they have absolutely no experience with understanding the marketing, the business aspect of U.S. soccer, the you know just the the, the system in itself where you have no promotion relegation so. MLS in itself mm-hmm. is a single entity, and then you have USL, NESL, and then you have a bunch of other tiny leagues mm-hmm. that obviously you're a part of. How how do you expect those people to actually influence the game? Do you think they actually have a legit chance of impacting the sport that us, the people, adore and want to see You know, the Stars and Stripes go on or the Yanks go on to the semifinals? And lift the World Cup on the men's perspective and the women's perspective. Continue what they have started and being so good. I mean, that's another great question. I mean, I'm the one that could fairly be taken as maybe a little bit more aggressive and ask. You know, I'm the one that has been asking the tough questions while answering the tough questions. The president of the USSF has to ask tough questions and needs to prove to the American soccer community that the best interest of soccer is there on their behalf. And I'm the type of guy that sits back and says, wait a minute. And I'll say it again. I look at the media sector. Is the media sector in soccer um, uh, affecting the sport at certain levels because of people who may be involved as commentators and this like that? Is it just a face behind the federation we're looking for or uh, with, to glorify it in an ad campaign or rah, 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 shish, kumbah, or do we have a president that's going to dissect everything that we all are raging about as a, a soccer community and ask the tough questions? I made that one tweet about a month ago or maybe three weeks ago. Uh, you know, does the, the, is there a media sector that tarnishes soccer in this country? And it blew up into a frenzy of journalism, writers, oh my God, how could you ask this question? If you listen to the question, it was real. Now you start, and that, that one little question started to bring out uh, other questions. And, and that's what a president of the Federation needs to do. It needs to dissect each system. Do the other candidates have that capability based on their experiences in the sport for 47 years? Who knows? Um, but like I said, I mean, this questions of why even some of these candidates come in, you know, three days before the nominations uh, process is supposed to be uh, uh, dead. And uh, why are they here today? Where were they seven months ago? And, and that's true. And, Paul, you, you do mention the, me- the media sector. And you did have that uh, tweet to Ale- uh, uh, Alexi Laws that picked up a lot of steam. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, asking him uh, for that, uh, to take a non-paid position to clean up the media sector that tarnishes the sport. Um, yes. Do you expect that that sort of backlash on it? And what were you what were you trying to say with that uh, tweet that you sent out? Well, it, it, I, it was pure because I speak from my heart. It was you know he asked the question like what would you what program would you institute, um, you know, uh, in this. So it was hey you know if if um, if we're all doing some great work in soccer from my heart, you know, sometimes maybe you could volunteer your services or, or um, services to help the Federation improve. And it was pure. Is there sectors uh, that tarnish 
soccer in the media in in this country. And that was, it was just a pure question. I did not expect the backlash, but I did tap into a central nerve system um, that I was not even in my mind thinking about at the time. It was a simple question. And then, hey, my job is to rally some people that can, uh, that have a large voice. Uh, uh, and Lexi Lawless is one of them, you know, his podcast and his views and, and what he does every week. Um, you know, hey, why don't you volunteer your services and help us uh, and help us figure some things out in the media side of things. But that was my intention. But I did hit essential nervous system. And um, I think a lot of people uh, came back in and defended the question because it was, it was real. And there is media in this, uh, in our sport that are there for maybe the wrong reasons or the wrong intentions and motives. And nobody's going to argue that. So when you say the uh, sorry, Steve. So when you say the media sector is tarnishing the sport, are you saying that uh, they're not providing a fair a fair coverage or whatnot? Or um, I, 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 don't, I mean, I think you know, without without getting really really into it, like I kind of did before. I mean, let's let's look at the definition of tarnishing. It means the dulling of the dulling of something. I mean, you know, the journalism is amazing. Their stories have been amazing. Everything's been amazing, but because we are, including myself and all of us, are in such uh, paranoia of the true motivations of anything with USSF on down at this point and the systems that they're linked to and the people who are linked to those systems opens up the very questions of every sector. And that's my point. Because Major League Soccer and some have the agreement and the agreement is to support USSF. And uh, there's announcers in the system that are hired by USSF, Major League Soccer, and some to report on the game. Are they being told to report a certain way? Does that go under the talking factor? I don't know. It's just an open question. I leave the answers to all of us. I find it really fascinating with, with your take on, on, uh, on the media. but Well, I mean, look at... Look at the look at the questions. I'm sorry to interrupt, but look no, at the questions ahead. you're asking me now. Just look at the questions you're asking me now. Just because I made that, I inserted that one little word tarnish, and I inserted the word media sector. Um, is there people out there that should be in the major media sector, uh, uh, ESPN, FC, Fox, BN Sports, that are doing so much great work out here as journalists, reporters? story writers, um, is there inclusion within your own sector? And since we want to talk about inclusion as a topic of the United States Soccer Federation, I feel that the media sector should not be ignored. And these, things, and these questions uh, should be asked uh, on the same realms of pay-to-play, pro-well, as they should the media. So there, so there you have it. You're asking the questions now that I wasn't intended to. I just wanted to ask Lawless if he would help me uh, see if there's any sectors in the media mm. that, that tarnish the sport. <laughs> Interesting stuff. I, I feel like you get to the water cooler talk, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. you definitely have some uh, some disagreement among people. But there is, you do get a sense of that, course. I, I, and I honestly do believe that a lot of these major networks, when it comes to soccer, a lot of people do tend to ignore them because a they're not very entertaining, or b it's just kind of the same stuff and 
And, for example, we talked to Eric Stover, and we wanted to get into the NESL, the USL, and talk about lower division soccer. And you don't necessarily find mm-hmm. that on the major networks because it doesn't sell. But you, a part of your platform was this promotion relegation that would start to include more mm-hmm. of this, you know, single huge system that would allow players to grow, allow financial and mm-hmm. economic growth among the league. What would your promotion relegate, relegation system look like? Well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get to that, but I want to end with this uh, media sector tarnishing yeah. thing. After after I after I made that statement and, and all the buzzwords and, and uh, uh, all the conflict came out, there was one that I paid attention to that there was an announcer working for that USL that said he was told not to mention the NASL during his broadcast and during his position. So let's end it there. So does that tarnish the sport? I'll leave the questions to you. Paul, okay, Paul, Paul. Back Paul, to Paul Pro so I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. but before you go into the Pro Rail, just uh, so we can get a yeah. clean shift, I just wanted to ask you: um, Did you think uh, the the have you thought and that the media has uh, covered the uh, election a little on the uh, a little skewed? Um, let's let's question with a question. My feeling is this: right between the eyes, absolutely not. They have not covered the candidates, the, all the candidates equally. They have not given the same airtime. I've been on this for uh, for seven months straight as a as a profiled candidate with uh, 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 47 years background. Carter comes in in three days, and she has she has live television coverage on ESPN FC along with Martino. It's not about me. What about the other candidates? This is we're we're a team of people here. Mm-hmm. It's not just about Lapointe La versus the the soccer world. This is. What's what's unfair to me is unfair to the other candidates, and what's fair to me is fair to the other candidates. It's inclusion. So they are creating, the media is creating um, in its sector questions, um, and who are they paid by? So this is you know this is common sense stuff. It doesn't take it takes a blue collar layman person to figure this stuff out real real quick. Um, um, so I don't know. Soccer seemed to me at this point what I've really, really experienced. It's almost like a hush campaign for mm. a uh, for 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 the rich and famous in, a, in in between castle walls with a deep sandbox. So we'll <laughs> just keep on asking 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 the tough questions, um, but it's going to end someday, you know. And and uh, you know everybody are you know maybe that's the, maybe that's the system is to wear guys like out and women like myself out uh, to stop asking the questions because we never get answers to them. Or results. Sure. And, you know, it's funny because actually, before we get to promotion relegation, I want to ask you about the failure of not qualifying for the World Cup because a lot of blame was yeah. pushed to Galati. And rightfully, yeah. sure. But I, a lot of people, we've had people come on our show and explain Galati takes some blame, mm-hmm. but it should really have fallen on Bruce Arena and the players. What would you have done mm-hmm. if you had, would as U.S. president, would you have stepped down? Would you have done what? Would you have done differently than Galati after that failure and after? I mean, the heart of the American soccer community was just ripped out. Well, let me be candid with you right up front. Number one, I would not have hired Bruce Arena for a second round gig. Uh, number one. Number two, um, the. Any good CEO or president of a company will ask themselves this one question when they're in a support role for multiple people. 
did I do everything or did she do everything in their best power and will to support the process? If they answer that question, yes, they remain intact. If they answer that question, no, then maybe they need to look inside themselves and say, did I have a direct effect on this outcome? So, you know, did Galati have an effect direct on it? Probably not. But Galati has concentrated on the money of soccer the past uh, 12 years and not the development side. So putting a president uh, in charge of the USSF that has uh, experiences to deal with a, a guy like Arena, uh, Bruce Arena, is important. Um, so from the technical department, development department, the curriculum that goes along with it, um, Everybody has themselves to blame, but we need a leader to go ahead and enforce these programs. Number one, uh, are we truly capitalizing on the uh, the talent level we have in this country from uh, inner city all the way up to major league soccer? What's our pool, number one? Um, somebody's got to be held accountable. Um, you know, we gave Bruce, we have, we, listen, we have infrastructure, stadiums, state-of-the-art training facilities. Dieticians, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. strength and uh, speed and speed and agility. We have everything from technical to physical to mental, mental to tactical skills in this country, but yet we can't get out of our group. Why? Uh, we all know why. It's because we're not looking for and and we're not looking within the whole group, and that group is the whole country. Is there an 18-year-old player right now that's playing futsal in an inner city that could literally step on the grid right now? and compete during a training session against, uh, uh, you know, uh, the men's national uh, U-20 team players or even the mas- national team itself. Listen, we need more Paul Sacks. We need more Tim Howards. Uh, but we can't, put the, we can't put this team on the shoulders of an 18-year-old at this point. Mm. Um, it's going to take a coach and a system to go out and find this talent. That's where the problem is. is we didn't find the talent. We just took whatever we got and threw it together and did some finger painting, and here we are now. <laughs> so you talk about that de- the development aspect and finding players, and a lot of people's arguments for promotion relegation is that this would help exp- uh, help expand expand that uh, pool of sorts, and also with along the lines of figuring out uh, sol- uh, solidarity uh, pa- uh, the compensation payments for acquiring players mm-hmm. from, from from youth clubs. Uh, so on that uh, issue of the promotion relegation, I think you. Actually, uh, you mentioned a uh, platform which was, I think, relatively interesting, and it was. It's, it's. I think it's very reasonable to implement it on the lower levels and then see how yeah. that works out, and then uh, potentially move to the higher levels. So, do you want to explain that? Uh, what your uh, vision was yeah. and still is? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And th- the vision is very clear because remember, we're dealing with Major League Soccer, NASL, and USSL or USL that operate for profit and they are registered businesses in the United States for profit. And they have uh, a franchise system. We cannot just go in there and say, by the way, sorry, we don't like what you're doing um, because it's going to affect millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, We're going to change it and good luck to you because we feel we should do this. We can't do that legally. But what we can do is take the majority of the group underneath them, build the program, make the program, and a defined system, a defined program, um, which nobody's really presented at this point, 
because we we kick around pro rel as if we've been dealing with it for 30 years. Nobody heard the term until at least the American soccer community until the last maybe five or six years, maybe. Um, so let's look at it from that point. But my this is this is where I think what we should do is we concentrate on PDL, UPSL, NPSL, amateur ranks, state teams, local teams. We build the system within there. Whether there's money involved or not, let's just insert the pro-rel system. Work out the kinks, use it as a test pilot, then we knock on the castle walls of the big three. Uh, and if NASL can survive the day, they're not going to be considered a big three. So there's only two of them left. So what would you do, or what should we do with MLS? Because it's a single entity system, and I yep. I, I watched, ah, this was with Grant Wall. He was speaking with a bunch of coaches not too long ago, and then yeah. this might be a couple of years, but the coaches were going yes, no with the promotion and relegation system, but the single entity system mm-hmm. kind of protects that system, and then USL mm-hmm. and the NESL, we talked with Stover, and he we asked him if there mm-hmm. could be a connection between the USL and NESL, and he said there can't be because USL has mm-hmm. some sort of agreement with MLS. So it gets really difficult, right. that top end. Yes. yes. Um, I get the money part of it because that's what it's all about. And I've said this all along. If Major League Soccer won't entertain the system of pro-rel and want inclusion of it thereof, then let them fly in their own airspace because it's a franchise-closed system. Um, let the rest of us move forward uh, you know, within the same system and the same umbrella. MLS doesn't have to go away. They just don't want to be included. That's okay. That's why I call it a sandbox. You want to play in it or you don't. So I guess it it, it kind of be like letting letting the consumer decide which which one is uh, more attained, more I guess entertaining to watch, or, uh, or let mm-hmm. their money let their money let their money talk to which one they like the most, and um, either force MLS's hand or have a league that grows better than them. Well, I mean, money talks. I mean, it, like I said, if the major league, if major league soccer is all about the money side of it, which is okay, but I can't just blanket it about the money. This is this pro rel is more about money. It's about opportunity, inclusion, mm. inclusion, mm-hmm. pl- player development, an easier pathway for players to be noticed. It's about affecting a small community and an affecting a major expansion like Nashville. It's 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 an inclusive system that can that that can be instituted um but if the if the main topic is going to be well we paid 120 million for the franchise that means we can't allow this guy to come in that didn't pay for it there's a lot of uh, a lot of red tape to be worked through that's why we stay away from the franchise closed system right now because that's what we're used to in america every sport that we that we that 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 we have that has all the glory of what it what it is to be a, a major sports league throughout this world in the United States technically is a closed franchise system. No, it, it only is. soccer is the world. Only, only soccer is the world's game. No, yeah, but what what the, the issue I guess would be is how do you get MLS to open up? What about the other candidates and their vision for promotion relegation? Because Kathy Carter came out saying, "Oh, we need to talk about it." 
but I guess it was kind of mm-hmm. high, you know, her, her, she didn't want to say no because she, yeah. know, she knew she would get backlash. I mean, there, there is quite a bit of right. people out there uh, who I talk right. to, just local friends who say, hey, what about promotion and relegation? We've talked about it multiple right. times. This is something that's on everybody's mind. This is not something that is, you know, cult-esque right. that you see sometimes on Twitter, but this is something that among uh, right. a lot of people, this is a concern and this is something, uh, a talking point, because we can fantasize about having multiple teams from one city in the top division, how interesting that would be. Uh, you know, we're based out of Dallas. We talked about, okay, what if Dallas had a team or what if the area had a team in Fort Worth? That would be in the second division. Maybe there's mm-hmm. a, a team in Dallas in the third division. Or right now I'm at the University of Wisconsin. What if Madison had a, had a team that was competing and there's the opportunity to to get mm-hmm. promoted? You know, I think the biggest issue with U.S. soccer is money. You talk about this. To me, it's the cultural divide, and we still don't have the culture yet. Right. Um, recently, right. Well, well, I mean, we have to deal with – this is happening because – the, Ameri- the majority of the American soccer community wants ProRail, but because we've already had a system in place for uh, you know over 25 years now that's closed, we're fighting against the brick wall and the castle wall, not the actual concept of what we're talking about. Um, so that's, that's, that's the roadblock. How do you bridge those gaps? Well, you, you bang on Garber's door, you bang on uh, Papadakis' door, you, you, you have the guts to go do it and say, listen, in the best interest of the sport, in the best interest of the majority of the American soccer culture, fan uh, community, how can we make pro well happen without stepping on each other's business plan? Um, how can we make everybody feel comfortable that this is the right thing to do? Um, because right now it's just a roadblock based on the history of how we've been operating. I want to move on to to the women's aspect because that seems to get absolutely no attention. Uh, as far as the women's game, all we're all that's discussed pretty much in the media is about the pay gap. And but the women's game has been really interesting because you do see. I always thought the contention here was to create the world's greatest women's league, but a lot of key players have left to go play in Europe to compete. You know, uh, Carly Lloyd at City, or you know, Alex Morgan taking some time to go to Lyon. And uh, but, but what, right. what's your take on the women's game? Yeah, I love the women's game, and again, that's not a that's not a system that's broken. It lacks inclusion. It lacks uh, media support. Uh, exposure levels. Um, it's very attractive. It's just as exciting as the men's sport. But the reason why some of these players leave the United States borders, borders is because there's more opportunity and a pathway to make a living in soccer if you're an elite player. Some Division two and Division three players out uh, past our borders make more than a top-tier player uh, possibly could make in Major League Soccer. So it all comes back to our system. Um, we need to make it player and user friendly for all. And if it takes pro rel to do it, even within the women's ranks with maybe not so many teams as participating as the men's do, I think pro rel is appropriate, even in the women's ranks from the amateurs up to the NWSL. So that's a whole nother subject. Talk about the women's game. I was the only, only candidate to come out with the first idea of providing them with an open cup. They deserve it. They should have it. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Paul. I, I 
I I agree. I agree. With, I agree with that vision of an open cup. I think it's it's interesting. It provides competition, and it provides competition that like only the only thing the women have is the NWSL, really, uh, in, in league play wise, and even that it's it's gaining a little bit of exposure, but it's still struggling uh, to get to get that. The, that household mm-hmm. that attracted household casual. My thing with the women's game is, I feel like we, as a nation, we we, lo- we love our women's national team and we love them a lot. And it it seems like everyone's like, oh, our women's team is great. But I mean, recently, I think our women's team is taking a little bit of a step back. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think the, the 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 development has kind of lacked uh, recently, and we've been relying on how good of, uh, how good of players we have and. And their their abilities, but I we've seen countries come up that are are playing better than than the national than the, the women's national team we have right now. Mm-hmm. So, what would your steps be to fix up uh, some of the issues within the women's problem, women's well, game? Sorry, one, like I said, yeah, like I said, exposure levels key, and having an open cup, regardless of how many teams participated in, uh, I think is key because it opens up an attention span, uh, maybe with some more television. Um, to attract more investors, uh, to attract, uh, you know, markets uh, in cities and towns that, that will support it. But let's face it, this is what's been happening is in the men's side of the game in the United States, we've been making boys and men stars before they're stars. And we promote them as if they're superstars before they're really an international star. Um, in the women's game, we lack the exposure level of the very stardom that I'm talking about. So, I mean, let's look at the last 72 hours of news in the soccer world from a player standpoint in the women's game um, is Hope Solo. Uh, you know, she's the most uh, attractive player right now as a former player. Uh, but have we heard any more about the other women players in, in the United States as much as we do the men? We need to hear local stories about a player that's playing for an amateur team that uh, has the potential to go to the national team. We don't hear a lot of that in the women's game, so exposure level is key. Um, and again, we need, to make, uh, we, need to, we need not to make uh, the men's side stars before they're really stars from a marketing standpoint. They need to be the actual player, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to ask you this and put you on the spot, but is there any candidate that you could see uh, or you could throw your support behind or something that you do like, not necessarily throw your support, but other aspects of other individuals' can, uh, platforms that you do appreciate or you could say, yes, I like that? I mean, throughout my whole campaign, uh, you know, there's pictures of me and Winalda at in Florida. Uh, during the second qualifier, uh, or you know, the second qualifier game before Honduras, um, or no, that was Honduras, not uh, uh, Trinidad. But we were at Honduras together, had some synergy, and uh, you know, Eric's got a lot of good vision, and uh, he closely lines up with a lot of the things that I talk about. But having gone through this candidate process, <laughs> I will say this: having conversations with most of the candidates throughout the whole seven months that I've had. I am I am very careful now to support one or the other because I really don't know what who motivations are connected to. Um, mm. 
uh, for the outcome itself. So I have to be very, very care- uh, careful. But, you know, Ronaldo referred to me as a, as a good guy, uh, like the rest of them do, but they're all kind of afraid to, you know, even, hey, would you support the point? They won't answer the question either. But Ronaldo is the closest. Um, and I've been the only candidate to reach out to every candidate and even call them out on, on social media to say, let's band together and make this stuff right. And you get very little response because, hey, everybody has a personal interest. Um, I would have to say that my personal interest, I'm satisfied with my soccer life. Um, if I don't become president of the USSF, it's not the end of my world. Um, but now they're all running for a position that could be changed to begin with. So um, great question. And you talk and you you talk about that change. What what do you think of that that new GM role that was just implemented by the USSF? It it's a setup. Let's be honest. It's just it's a setup for an outcome. The outcome is you guys know as well as I do. It's very common sense stuff looking from the outside in. Uh, and I consider myself an outsider, even even when I was hot in the campaign. Is why are these things taking place? Is it set up for one individual to come in so another one can appoint the other one as a GM and the status quo stays? Is one guy coming in uh, that's an announcer in the media to be put in as a president that has a softer role now, and then the GM is really the one that's powerful, and who's going to pick that? It's, it's just, it just creates, it opened up Pandora's box, and it's just another example of really not thinking this through when the USSF makes decisions on behalf of all of us that affects millions of people. Not just the sport of soccer, it affects millions of people and affects mm-hmm. millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, getting, back to the pro, getting back to the pro rel thing, I'll, I'll tell you this, in even Major League Soccer, these guys and women in Major League Soccer are, 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 are uh, supporting a system that deals with millions of dollars and maybe taps on billions, maybe taps on a little bit of billions of dollars. In a pro rel system, I'd rather make billions. Pro 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 rel can be instituted. The concept of pro rel can be instituted in every sector of of soccer. Pro rel media, pro rel youth, pro rel men's, uh, pro rel women, uh, pro rel pay to play. I mean, everything has a stage and everything has a level, doesn't it? I know it's it's just an interesting uh, conversation, but it, it's fascinating. Paul, you know, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We really appreciate taking uh you know some a good chunk of your time here to to really talk about the the presidency and, and the difficulties that you've had and just to get a, a different perspective because that's the point of the show is to get different perspectives of u.s soccer a fresh new take on u.s soccer <laughs> yeah so that, yeah, th- hey, thank you. yeah thank you yeah thank i was gonna say thank you again paul it was a Really, really, really interesting interview. I know, unfortunately, you didn't get the three the three votes to move on to presidency, but um, you do you do ask a lot of questions that need answering. I think that's a really important aspect of uh, uh, that, that's what the soccer world needs today. I feel like uh, at times mm-hmm. we're not asking enough questions. We're just saying, okay, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, and then. We we get hit with this problem. And we're like, oh, why this happened? Because I I don't think we were asking the right questions at the right times. Well, so. I appreciate you guys having me on, and and I'll leave you with this question: Did I have the nominations or didn't I? Uh, just because I physically didn't hand them in, 
Did that mean I didn't have them? And were they manipulated for a one-way outcome? I'll leave you with that. And I'll also leave you with Christmas time. Soccer's a gift. We all need to unwrap it. Indeed. I like it. I like it. Appreciate it, Paul. And we'll hopefully uh, reach back out and maybe we'll get your reaction to actually becomes the uh, president. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And I, I, again, honored and humbled to have the opportunity to talk with you guys. Hey, likewise. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Oh, man, was that fascinating. It was interesting to get that kind of insight from a former USSF presidential candidate. And he's asking the questions that I think a lot of the U.S. soccer, the common U.S. soccer fan wants to know. Well, and it, and it's not hard to put connections together. It, it really isn't. And it's it's getting interesting as time goes on. You start seeing more and more of these connections of yeah. sorts. And it's... You do. It's, it, and it's interesting. I'm... On a, on a personal level, I'm actually very appalled that Hope Solo got past the background check. Um, I well, because I of the, not, the domestic I, issue, domestic, abu- the domestic abuse issue, and also uh, the issues she's had in the past. It kind of seems like her "quote unquote" stardom superseded her legal issues. Which, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of mind-boggling that a potential USSF candidate has a domestic abuse, and I. If I remember correctly, her husband was drunk and took the team van. If I'm wrong, I'm I'm sorry, but it was along those lines. And you like you like sit there and you're like, wow, like what? How is how is she getting a back? How is she getting approved by a background check? But like I like I said, like I was I, I was talking off the mic. I don't think we'll see a change in U.S. soccer. I really don't. Uh, yeah, and and Galati took a lot of the blame, and he actually did do wonders for this na- uh for the not national teams, but just for U.S. soccer, bringing this huge surplus, having all this cash, um, you know, the growth of the leagues here in America, the growth of of player talent. I think, I mean, has been contributed, you know, and should be, uh, should be applauded. Galati should be applauded for that, but it was. Ultimately, I think the rehiring of Bruce Arena was the downfall because if we had gone to the World Cup, uh, no one would mention this. I don't think any of this would have come to fruition. I don't. But think- I mean, it, is it, it? It is terrible to miss the World Cup, and I would trade a World Cup appearance uh, for any of this. But at the same time, excuse me, we're kind of seeing these our issues in the U.S. soccer problem finally coming to light, which I think. It, it, it's key. It's key to us growing as a soccer nation. We we need we need to realize we do have problems in the development sector of this nation. We do have issues within uh, how the lower leagues are 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 set up and and all, all that stuff. And we just have to realize that making the World Cup won't solve all of our problems. It just masks them. It's kind of like makeup, you know. You have an ugly zit in your face, and you put the you can mask it with some makeup, but it's still there. Yeah, no, I mean it's a great analogy, and you you think about it, what what type of change are we going to see? And and it's promotion relegation, but that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, a lot of people think that's going to solve a lot of issues. Will it? I don't know. The the youth development, uh, that's not going. None of this happens overnight. This is going to take years, and um, I don't. I just don't see it coming. I don't see. I don't see change coming. I mean. I feel like, but regardless, sorry, Armand, but regardless mm-hmm. of if change is coming or not, we should still have been at the World Cup. We still have talented players. We do. Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, 
um, Keaton Parks. And those three people might not different talent ranges, but they've somehow managed to get their way to the national team uh, or get to Europe. Even Kellen Acosta, somebody who was a homegrown, somebody Josh Sargent, Josh, yeah, Josh Sargent, um, the kid off of Red Bulls, the Tyler Adams, Tyler Adams, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jordan we, Morris. We, we do have this. DeAndre talent. Yedlin. Look at these do, players. They, they have, have come from talent. different stories. We do have this talent, but in a, and like I said before, in a country with so many people, I feel like we're like as many people said, I feel like we're striking out. We're striking out, and some people have mentioned, oh, maybe we're focusing too much on the, the DAs or this or that. I mean, there's so many issues. Well, there's that are going, there's, that are going on. The, I'm, we're going to sum up with this question, Armand. I'll let you answer. There's a radio host, very popular radio host up in Boston, uh, Michael Felger. And Boston, when it comes to revolution on sports talk, it depends. Most of the time, it's nothing. Um, but they, I guess there's a show. I don't, I, I'm not too sure if they, they have some sort of thing. But they, games get played on the network that plays the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Patriots. So okay. the, the Revolution share this airspace with these other clubs. And because of the men's failure to qualify for the World Cup, he thinks soccer is dead. He thinks soccer was his up-and-coming thing, and now it's stopped. And I, I think he's completely wrong because he completely misses it. Because soccer is not going anywhere. In fact, the Premier League is only going to grow. And if Manchester United end up signing Christian Pulisic, which the rumors change every day left and right... But say a Premier club gets Christian Pulisic, damn right that Premier League club is going to become the most popular. Soccer is not going anywhere. In fact, it's probably going to pass baseball. And it probably already has in some sense. Wait till the, the people my age have kids. Soccer is not soccer is not dead. I'll tell you that. The fact of the matter is MLS is not the most popular soccer league in this country. It would have to be it have to be someone from abroad. Most people. The thing is, the casual fan all they care about is the national team. It's true, and the casual fan all and when a ca, when the casual fan all they care about is the national team. That's an issue. It's not dead, and it won't be, because four years from now, if the United States makes the World Cup, it'll be the same thing all over again. USA, USA. Everyone has that that fake nationalistic pride. When the time comes, oh, but I, mine's not fake. Mine's genuine. But but there are certain people within the realm of U.S. soccer that have the genuine pride. Yes, that Us. they care about it when we're not in the World Cup. That they care about it uh, when we're okay. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That's us. But these people have a genuine soccer pride. It's not going to go away. It's not. It's not. It won't. It never will. Did it? I I would argue that U.S. is better than the U.S. soccer itself. Is in such a better shape than what it was in maybe 2002 when we made our greatest run in 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 World Cup history in the Bruce Arena in Korea. So, is soccer gonna die? Absolutely not. It's it's but, it's but does it need a, but does it need a tweak? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we appreciate you listening to this year. I can't believe it's the end of 2017 already, Armand. We've had a wonderful time. Um, Hope you guys have a very man, safe. It has been one hell of a journey, man. It has. We started, we started this pod in in Julyish. It was just an idea between me and Stephen. Uh, well, we actually, to talk, uh, actually, want to talk about that? We will. 
Yeah, we can. The music's still playing. Well, we'll really we we will reloop the music. No, but I we started this actually it wasn't even July. This was May. We talked about the idea of it. Then we got the logo. We talked about the idea of of coming together and creating a podcast. Because I mean, as many of you may not know, Stephen was a part of Balls and Boys soccer podcast, and yep. and I was an occasional host on there, and I. I'm a, a big contributor in – a big – I'm a contributor in the Dallas soccer uh, community. And we decided we, – why don't we come together? Steven's a, a very good uh, – cares about production and has a passion for soccer. I have a passion for soccer and the, the knowledge. We combine together and we decide to focus on U.S. soccer because that's something, that's something that we care about. And that's something we feel like wasn't covered enough. Made it up in the Starbucks. Just in the Starbucks. Planned it out. Uncle Sam came came to fruition, and now here we are. We we started off with a with a bang, and we we've continued strong. And I just wanted to thank you guys uh, for this opportunity. We've we've had opportunities to interview pl- people that I don't think any of us would have uh, remotely even thought about back in May. We thought it'd be something smaller, but it's grown at, at a great rate, and people love it. People hate it. I don't really care. I'm just glad you guys listen, and I'm glad you guys uh, put a little bit of merit with in our opinions because. Overall, what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide something different for the casual soccer fan that doesn't really care that much about soccer, but, you know, kind of does. We want to provide something new and unique that covers all the spectrums, not just MLS, not just NASL, not just USL, not just when the NISA comes up, not just in. We want to encompass it all. And I've honestly learned a lot more uh, about U.S. soccer than I had in the previous, what, 19 years of my life. Yeah, no, and, and the people we've had on have been wonderful. We've we've really tried to, and, and there's areas we can definitely grow. But I mean, we've talked to some of the biggest names in U.S. soccer, Amon, and, and that's something that in the Starbucks we had, we thought about, we dreamed about, but it, it became reality. And and it's amazing to see how you, the fi- listeners, you, the fans, have contributed. And without you, this would be absolutely nothing. So we, re- from the bottom of our hearts, you've yep. made 2017. Wonderful. Let's hope 2018 turns out to be just as great. Hey, don't sleep. 2018 is going to be even better. We got hella plans coming up. Don't sleep. Hella plans. Don't sleep on us, baby. We're coming back stronger. See you next year. Happy New Year. Thanks again, listeners. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply.